Hey, before we get into the episode, I want to make sure you guys have the chance to register for free for Starting Small Summit 2024. We have a very exciting panel this year with the founder of ButcherBox, Safa Mattresses, and online creator Lexi Hensler, the founder of Hugs. Registration is completely free, and you can find more on our website or ideaweek.com, and I hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small, a podcast about brand development, entrepreneurship, and innovation in the modern world. In this episode, I'm joined by Oliver Zack of Mad Rabbit. Founded in 2019 by two friends with a passion for ink, they saw an opportunity to reinvent the tattoo aftercare and tattoo skincare space to help improve the healing process and preserve tattoos. After their own experience with a lack of effective products on the market, Mad Rabbit was born. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Starting Small. Today, I'm joined by Oliver Zack of Mad Rabbit. Oliver, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Cameron. I'm excited. Of course. So I'd like to start out with your upbringing. Uh, where did you grow up and what would you say your childhood was like? Um, I grew up in Cleveland, Ohio, uh, the east side in a small town called Chagrin Falls. Uh, I went to an all guys high school, which was an interesting experience, but it allowed me to really dive into my entrepreneurial kind of ambitions. Mm. Uh, I grew up watching my father transform himself from his career into an entrepreneurial one. Uh, and it was a bit of a, a rise from the ashes kind of story. And I think it was a, a formative experience for me as a young kid. So um, I fortunately had the opportunity to go to this all guys school that had things like entrepreneurship competitions and mm. intern programs and things like that. So I think from a very early age, it was it was kind of fostered within me. For sure. I don't know if you can share much, but given that that shaped some of your career, what, what was that for your father's journey? What did that look like? Yeah, totally. So he was a, a plastic surgeon which in its own uh, in its own right, it takes years of, of schooling and residency, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Uh, what often goes along with that, especially when you're in reconstructive plastics, is uh, you get your dental degree as well, so you can do a lot of jaw operations. So oh. all that to say, my dad spent, I don't know, 14 years in school outside of kind of the standard uh, yeah. bachelor's track. And he was a successful plastic surgeon for, for several years and ended up getting rear-ended in a car accident. Wow. And uh, there were complications with the surgery, and it ultimately left him, his hand, uh, disabled from a surgical perspective. So after wow. all that work and dedication and um, years studying and practicing, he, he kind of had his rug pulled out from under him. So mm. uh, spent a few years unemployed, um, which was obviously comes with family struggles and, and things with it, yeah. uh, but went to school at night to get his MBA and reinvented himself and now he's in uh, biotech, which is cool. So he's kind of back to helping people, but in a different mm. way. Incredible. With your own journey growing up, uh, what were some of your interests, sport, athletics or entrepreneurship? I know you had a lot of influence growing up. So what did that look like for you? Definitely. I um, I like sports. I don't know if I like love sports. I was never the kid spending extra hours in the weight room or really kind of putting in the work. Yeah. But I, I played hockey and lacrosse, both of which I, I loved and made a ton of great friends through. Um, did some after school entrepreneur cup pitch competition type things. And, uh, I don't know, really, I was, I was just a kid. I was pretty focused on, on schoolwork and getting into a good college. So, um, academics definitely took up a a significant portion of my childhood as well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I would say that that also trickled into college. I, I took the entire experience very seriously. I was a finance major, uh, with a a digital branding minor, which is kind of where I got my creative side out. Mm. Um, and there I joined things like, uh, business fraternity and really just kind of trying to gear myself up for 
success down the line by surrounding myself with like-minded people. For sure. I saw you went on to Miami University and knowing that you're super engaged at this time, what were your, some of your aspirations during school? What, what did you think you were going to do like post-graduation? Yeah, I um, it was funny because on one hand, I did have this creative side of me that loved amateur graphic design. Like I had been doing that since I was 13 years old. I used to make YouTube backgrounds for YouTubers on their channel. Um, and so I've always had that kind of like artistic side and, and creative side of me that I really wanted to, to grow. Um, but I also knew I needed a practical skill set. And I was, you know, comfortable with math, um, ultimately led me to choose finance as, I don't know, it, it seemed like the language of business. And if I did want to do something on my own one day, it was a great skill set to kind of fall back on. So all the way through, you know, really at senior year of college, I was gearing up to go become a consultant. Mm. Uh, after I graduated my first year out of school, I spent consulting in mergers and acquisitions, uh, which was an awesome experience. I loved it. Uh, I got to live in New York City, which was so cool. Um, but really, all the way through that point, I had no expectations of Mad Rabbit being my yeah. full-time gig. It, it wasn't until junior year that we started it as a side hustle, and the next two to three years were really ran as a side hustle. Mm. Yeah, I think that's such an important period of time I'd like to dive into is I saw some of your resume and like you were involved with EY. What what did your college years look like? You had a lot of internships. You looked extremely busy, mm -hmm. but also Mad Rabbit kind of centers around this as well. So what did your time look like during school? During school, it was um, I was pretty dedicated member of my business fraternity. Um, I mean, the countless I say dedicated member, but what it really looked like was just studying with friends um, and, and hanging out. So that was really where I spent the majority of my time outside of the classroom. In the classroom, um, my girlfriend makes fun of me. I met her at college, but she called me out because I was like the kid in the front of the class, always raising his hand and asking questions, um, <laughs> which arguably worked out. Um, yeah. But I, I was very focused on school uh, during the time. In the summers, that's really where I, I think I differentiated myself a little bit. Mm. Um, again, starting in high school, I was working in uh, incubators, like there's one in downtown Cleveland called Flash Starts. And that was like my first experience being able to work for a startup, seeing what the environment is like, mm. uh, while also having access to other people solving different problems. So I, I really spent my summers um, prior to landing like my formal EY internship, um, yeah. working for startups, uh, networking, and just really like learning a lot more about problem solving more than anything else. Mm. So you mentioned junior year is kind of when Mad Rabbit, the concept, comes to play. Um, what, what was the inspiration behind that, kind of getting into the tattoo space? Didn't really have tattoo experience prior to like your resume that you mentioned, but I would love to hear where that branched from, though. Sure. I, I misspoke a little bit. So um, junior year is when I got involved in e-commerce. That's okay. when my co-founder of Mad Rabbit, Salam, came to me and said, hey, let's, let's figure this out together. Let's try drop shipping." Um, our first business in college junior year was actually selling women's swimsuits. We created a brand called Ella Harding. Um, and because it's drop shipping, it's, we're not competing on product, right? We're not innovating on that perspective. But yeah. it forced us to create a really cool brand that, that resonated. And mm -hmm. it taught us a lot about ambassadorship and customer support, um, lessons that we would go on to obviously bring to Matt Rabbit. Uh, we sold that business. Um heading into the winter of our junior year. 
and we were kind of just resting on our couple thousand dollars, really happy with everything we did uh, and, and proud of it. But there was kind of always an itch to do one more thing before we graduated. Mm. Uh, so we were, we were patient with it. We tried, uh, we came up and uh, concepted a few different brands, a few different products. Um, but we wanted to move on from drop shipping. We wanted mm. to be able to touch the product, take on a more serious business challenge that has you know inventory risk and supply chain and logistics complications. Yeah. Uh, really in an effort to learn more before graduating. Uh, I had my second or third tattoo appointment at the time. And I just remember being really drawn to how difficult and frustrating the healing process was my artist as many historically do recommended petroleum jelly to heal my tattoos and that's great for scabs if you fall off your bike and scrape your knee you want petroleum jelly because it helps your body build a scab which is a barrier to defense or Mm -hmm. barrier to dirt and bacteria entering the body yeah Um, but you don't want scabs for tattoos and that's what we've been proving out for the last i don't know five years but it was really that pain point that got me to say hey let's Let's talk to my mom. She has worked with natural ingredients before. She can help us come up with a better formulation. And I think that night we we had ordered, um, you know, a crock pot and a bunch of ingredients off Amazon. Wow. Yeah. So take us through that formulating process. What did that look like with your mom and kind of like testing ingredients? Where, where were you testing it? How would you get the results, et cetera? Trial and error. Uh, yeah. She had her own crock pot ordered. We both would order all of the ingredients, like, I don't know, a suite of 30 of them. Um, she would try different things. We would try and match what she did. Ultimately, we ended up settling on seven all natural ingredients, which is it's so simple and so clean, but it also is nice because it's easier to make. So mm. um, that's the the formulation process was really just like a bunch of FaceTimes with my mom, which is kind of <laughs> funny. Yeah, I love it. So once you guys found the formula that you wanted, how did they you how did you then mass mass produce? Did you go to the co manufacturer? What did that look like then? So we had we had uh, three months of school left, so okay. it was a lot of long days skipping class and cooking tattoo balm in my college apartment. <laughs> um, fun fact, Salam doesn't mind if I share. He almost failed out of his final finance class and wasn't able to graduate, so oh, no. we had to craft an email to the professor explaining why we had not uh, been the most studious. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I mean, it was it was a lot of like us taking trips to the post office a few mm. times a week. It got to the point where uh, little Oxford post office said, you can't bring packages here anymore. You're, you're killing us. So they made us drive to Cincinnati, which is like an hour away. <laughs> wow. Um, but that, that offloading the manufacturing and the fulfillment was absolutely the goal of the summer. We knew that if we wanted to graduate onto full-time jobs, we would have to, to pass at least that part off. So... Um, went through what is called the cosmetic index. We Googled it and it's thousands and thousands of these, you know, private label manufacturers all across the country. And from there it was interviewing dozens, if not hundreds of them. Um, and ultimately we got lucky with the partner that we chose because he's still one of our manufacturers today. So Mm. we've grown together and it's been a really cool journey. Awesome. To, for transparency wise, if you can share, what did the fin- financing look like for onboarding with that co-manufacturer? Did you have enough save from um, the, the pr- previous sell? Or no, what? yeah, no, we didn't. Um, we took a small friends and family's loan of seven thousand dollars, and that was enough to get us a couple hundred units made. Um, and we really just financed the purchase orders from the profits off of that first one. So mm-hmm. we ran the business like that, just constantly re- reinvesting the process. Uh, profits into more inventory, a little bit more marketing where we could afford it. 
um, and and grew it to the point of of doing three million dollars in real year one. Wow, it's incredible. So you mentioned earlier that you got into consulting post graduation, but also running Mad Rabbit at the same time. What did that balance look like? What were you consulting at that time? Private and um, yeah, so I was doing well. They're public companies most of the time, the clients I was working on. Yeah. Um, for my longest stint, I was traveling to Connecticut four days a week. I was operationally fairly out of the day-to-day of the business. Salam was really the one focused on um, running the ad account and improving the website and things like that, whereas I was more focused on the supply chain and making sure we weren't running out of stock. Mm. Um, it was kind of what I could afford to do in the time, and that's where I'm like very thankful and uh, I, I say it all the time. It's really hard to do this without a, a co-founder. So I think that's a really important kind of key. Hope you guys are enjoying this episode so far around Oliver's entrepreneurial journey. I'd like to pause and say thank you to this episode's mid-break sponsor, Wakako. Wakako's mission is to empower coffee lovers around the world to enjoy high-quality espresso on the go while minimizing their impact on the environment. They're committed to using innovative, sustainable materials in their products and continually improving their technology to provide the ultimate portable espresso experience. At the heart of their company is the Mini Presso, the world's first piston-driven handheld espresso machine. This fully manual portable espresso machine has taken the world by storm with its eco-friendly features, including no electricity needed and reinforced materials to withstand shocks. Personally, a huge fan of their Pico Presso machine. It's the most compact and pro-oriented of their portable espresso machines. So if you're looking to make your espresso on the go at an affordable price point and extremely high quality, check out Wakako at wakako.com. And I hope you guys enjoy the rest of the episode. Once you guys went with the co-manufacturer, you started selling. Did, did you guys hold inventory? Did you have a 3PL? Because um, I, I know you guys were shipping orders at the, the forefront, but how, how did that transition eventually? We we found a, uh, a 3PL up in Idaho that mm-hmm. we were with for about a year. Um, it, was a, it was a really good thing for us. I think it was um, a dollar pick and pack fee, which is really nice. Mm. Um, but we ultimately were able to convince our manufacturer to open a fulfillment uh, side of his business. So that's what I mean when I say we we really grew together. Uh, yeah. It's not only from a manufacturing side, but he also he also has a completely, you know, other side of his business that we leverage today as as our fulfillment center. Love it. So I I, I know you guys launched primarily D2C um, at start, but then when did you transition into retail? Because I see you're, you're in Walmart, GNC. Um, what did that transition look like for you guys? So both of those retail wins have been this year we've been 100 percent d2c all the way through 2023 or 2022 uh 2023 is kind of the rear a year of retail we launched gnc in february Mm. which is us really capitalizing on a a specific market segment of tattooed people yeah uh avid gym goers fitness uh you know advocates they tend to be a highly tattooed population per capita yeah and we really wanted to launch a specialty retailer who could support that um, thesis. So they've been a really exciting partner for us to capitalize on that market. And then we landed Walmart in August with Mm. just shy of 2000 doors um, and seven SKUs, which is a dream come true. That's incredible. I think the reason it's taken so long is we're we're building a category, right? There's no other Mm. tattoo care products in Walmart. Um, We firstly had to convince them that tattoos are popular enough to, to have space in Walmart. Yeah. Um, and an interesting kind of statistic that gives people an idea of the market size. In 2012, it was about 20% of U.S. adults had one tattoo. And now that number is like 48%. Wow. So there's been massive cultural adoption that 
plays in our favor, but you know, we also had to build a case that we're a product ready for retail. Yeah, for sure. What, what are you guys seeing shifting in the past year? Um, percentage wise D to C to retail, what does that number look like? It's still early, especially because, you know, Walmart, which is the bigger chunk of that is, it was a Q3, um, win for us and a rollout. For sure. Um, I think next year we're hoping retail will be closer to 10% of our, our revenue. And then I think at maturity, it'll, it'll look more like 30 to 40%. Mm-hmm. Yeah. On, on, on the side of marketing, what, what do you see that works best for you guys and what are you utilizing now? I know you mentioned the ad account in the early days, but for, mm-hmm. I, f- I feel like an industry a tattoo care, I feel like it's not talked about as much. So yeah. what do you, are you guys telling your story? What works best? We do a lot of things. Um, yeah. We first and foremost, we're we're pushing a cultural wave here, mm-hmm. right? So a lot of what we're doing is storytelling content, and it's yeah. pulling these figureheads from all of the different subcultures that now make up tattoo culture, which can be sports, it can be culinary, it can be military, um, it can be gym goers, as we were saying. Mm-hmm. Um, really, like figureheads from these industries to tell their life story, which by the way, is often tattooed all over them. Yeah. And it's often a lot more of a raw and authentic and uncut story than ESPN would ask of these people to tell. Right. So, yeah. um, it, it's being a platform for self-expression first and foremost. Um, secondly, I'd, I'd say education, right. Because we're fighting basically, I don't know, 6,000 years of, of, uh, an industry existing without us. So why do they need us now is, is kind of the argument we're up against. Yeah. Um, so it's a lot of, a lot of product education. Why are natural ingredients better? Uh, why is petroleum jelly a bad ingredient for tattoos entirely? Um, a lot of that side of stuff. And then I think kind of the third piece, which ties into the first a little bit is, uh, influencers and just authentic showcasing of customer experience. Yeah. I love it. Looking at kind of the main demographic overall, I know it's a universal product for people who have tattoos, but can you depict that with the marketing and feedback so far? Um, what do you mean by that? Like what, what's the overall demographic, would you say, that's purchasing? Got it. Um, so our biggest demographic is 28 to 34. Um, mm-hmm. So kind of like end of, of Gen Z or beginning of Gen Z, end of millennial is, is really kind of our sweet spot. I will say Gen Z is over 50% tattooed at this point, which is crazy. They're definitely wow. leading the cultural adoption. Um, so it's it's increasingly important that we stay young and relevant. Um, so that's where our you know TikTok is, is really important to us as well. Um, but as far as how we reach them, it's, it's a lot of social media. We're still toying with the idea of how to support retail from an out-of-home perspective, right? Is it mm-hmm. best to buy TV ads or should we plop billboards up um, yeah. or should we wrap, you know, semi trucks, all of which we're, we're testing and trying to figure out, but I don't, I don't necessarily have the recipe for success there yet. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, for the listeners out there, if you can kind of describe like what's the the main differentiation between mad rabbit and some of your competitors, I, I mean, you guys have done a great job. Like when tattoo care comes to mind, mad rabbit comes to mind for me. So like what, what do you, what, what plays the role of the differentiation between, unit competitors, would you say? Yeah, it's a, gr- it's a great question. And it, it does depend on the competitor. There's some small mom and pop shops that are doing a really good job with, you know, similar, similar natural formulations. Um, there's other kind of legacy companies that still primarily use petroleum jelly, which I'm completely against. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's kind of the the followers, right? The people who look at Mad Rabbit and see the success that a sleek, good for you brand can can bring, and and why there's a need for it. And I think within the last two years, certainly, we've seen dozens of companies pop up, kind of following in our shoes a little bit, which is it's it's great to see. I love it. Yeah, because my, my mission here is like let's get rid of petroleum jelly. Let's actually make sure people are healing and taking care of their tattoos the right way. Mm. Um, and let's make tattoos acceptable in every situation, every boardroom, every operating room. Mm. Um, that's kind of the mission. So I, I'm not, I'm never going to bash the competition here. Cause I think we're all yeah. kind of fighting a similar fight. Yeah, for sure. Looking at, uh, your SKU so far, what would you say is the, the top seller and what does that seller do for tattoos? Like vibrancy, longevity, what is that? Yeah. Our, our hero skew for the longest time. And it was our first product is our tattoo balm. Um, it's still our best seller. It's what people know us for. It's what got us on, on shark tank. Mm. Um, but surprisingly our second best seller is actually our numbing cream, which was actually like launched this past year. Mm. Um, I think that really speaks to the power of quite literally solving a pain point. Yeah. Um, but with, way less marketing and way less time on the market uh it is like neck and neck with the bomb which is Mm. interesting interesting now you mentioned shark tank i've had a couple other guests who've been on the show i'm curious what was that experience like for you and your co-founder and then also what did that correlation look like once that did eventually air for sales yeah it was it was incredible i grew up watching that show with my family every night yeah um it was on um as a family which is cool and then to like walk down that that famous aisle. Um, <laughs> it was a surreal, like childhood experience kind of win. I, I like touched the water on the sides to make sure it was real. And it was, which is cool. <laughs> um, but when we got in there, it's, it is like the most nerve wracking thing. They have you stand on your mark and you cannot say a word for like two minutes. There's cameras flying around your face. You're just supposed to stand there and smile and they're getting like the, all the shots that they need. Right. But <laughs> you're just staring these sharks down for two minutes straight and oh, your lips start shaking and your knees start shaking <laughs> and then they finally say pitch and then you go. Wow. Um, from that moment on, like Salam and I were like just robotic with it. I, I We'd rehearsed so many, so many times before. Um, it was really like effortless and all of the questions and comments that we were getting from the sharks were super positive and complimentary I think mm. a lot of times on that show, it's a momentum game, right? So if yeah. if one shark likes or doesn't like something, there tends to be a, a pile-on effect. For sure. Um, so that's where we, we fortunately had a great like 45, 50 minutes in the tank and just great conversations. And mm. you walk out of there and you're completely blackout. Mm. You have no idea what you said. Um, <laughs> and you have no idea what is going to make the cut for the show or if your episode is going to air at all. Mm. So it's like a lot of uncertainty for the next six months that follow. Wow. Um, and yeah, I didn't end up seeing the episode until everyone else did at our watch party. So it was like a cool, everyone sees it at the same time kind of thing. So when did you find out like it's going to air? How how much of a notice do they give you? We filmed in September of um, 2020 and it aired in March of 2021. So, okay. and I, th- I think an important thing to note there is you make this deal on the show and then you're, you're held to it until you get the money slash when the deal closes. Mm. And when you're a high growth company, that, that valuation feels very stale very quickly. Yeah. Um, which it hurts, but 
<laughs> I wouldn't have traded the experience for the world. We had a $500,000 sales lift that weekend. Mm. Um, Mark Cuban has been an incredible follow-on partner for the brand and has continued to invest in the brand. So even with like all the kind of pains of it, it has been more than worth it of an experience for us. Yeah, for sure. I love it. Well, I like to conclude each episode with this. Um, if you can share one piece of advice with an aspiring entrepreneur, maybe something you've learned or regret, what would you say that would be? Mm -hmm. My biggest piece of advice is taking advantage of the time when you have it. And I think you never have more of it than when you're young, mm. whether it's in high school or college, that is like the perfect opportunity to try and fail. Um, you don't have a, another job during the day. You don't have, you know, a wife and kids at home, presumably, or, or a husband. Um, it's kind of like your time to try new things and learn. And I think it's a great opportunity to differentiate yourself. So my advice is always start young and use your youth to your advantage. Love it. Well, Alvar, thank you so much for joining me today. And to the listeners out there, make sure to check out Mad Rabbit at madrabbit.com. Hey, thank you for listening to this episode of Starting Small. If you would, leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Also, follow Starting Small on social platforms and make sure to subscribe to our email so you don't miss anything on Starting Small Summit, more podcast episodes, or our online blog. You can find that link in this description.